Welcome to Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio. First, we'll give you the addresses to listen to, the, to this class. The JRoot Radio website is jrootradio.com, and you can listen to us over there live. You can also retrieve some archives. You can listen on the JRoot Radio app Pro on your smartphone if you want to download it. And to listen in to live radio, you could call in 718-506-9099. Those are the numbers. And of course, on your FM dial at 97.5 FM. Now to the numbers of the station, if you would like to call in or to text in any questions that you have. First, let's explain a little background what we do over here. This is the Halakha Hour, every Wednesday live from 2 to 3 p.m., where we talk about halakhot. Now, we're in the middle of the discussion of Al-Khot Pesach. The purpose of the Halakhot of here is not just to give you the information. Of course, that's important. The information of the Halakhot that we need, especially for the holiday of Pesach coming up. But rather also, we want to elaborate and explain the reasons of why we do Halakhot. As Hazal tells us that we shouldn't be walking in the darkness. We should know what we're doing and why we do what we do. <coughs> so we elaborate a little bit more on the Halakhot. So therefore, if you have any questions you'd like to text us or call us, you could call in at 718-683-5858, the regular station number. In a few minutes, about 5-10 minutes, we'll have somebody here answering your phone calls, and you'll let them know what your questions are. And if you'd like to text in your question, which is the best way to get your answers, uh, your questions answered, is at 347-927-8398. Today's class is dedicated for the Refu'ah Shalema of Yitzhak ben Sabhiyah. And also for the Refu'ah Shalema of myself, not feeling so well today, I might speak a little bit lower, I might not be able to uh, express certain things the right way. I hope uh, <coughs> it's understandable, it's a little bit under the weather, and we don't get anybody else sick here talking on the same mics. Let's get to the Halakhot. Last week, we left off a little bit talking about the Halakhot of rice and kitniyot. We didn't really leave off, we didn't begin talking about it. We'll begin talking about that, Mazat Hashem, right in the beginning, and to discuss a little bit about the Halakhot of rice and kitniyot, especially for this Faradim, and it's good that the, some, the Ashkenazim also, also hear some of this, so... Will clarify a lot of misconceptions. Let's begin. The halakha says that you could only make matzah from things that could become hamits. What could become hamit? What could you make matzah out of? We know there's only five grains that you can make matzah out of, and they are wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt. These are the famous five grains. If a person makes matzah out of any of the out of any grain besides these five, he is not considered that he has fulfilled his obligation on Pesach of eating the matzah. As the Torah says, And the evening of Pesach, you must eat matzot. Anyone who does not eat matzah from one of these five grains has not fulfilled the Torah obligation of eating matzah. By the way, the Hatam Shafir brings down that there is no other mitzvah in our days after the destruction of Beit HaMidash. There is no mitzvah to eat anything midoraita except for matzah on Lil Hasidir. Although we do eat a kezait of bread on also on Lil Sukkot, but that's learned from matzah. Specifically, the Torah specifies certain food to eat that's only matzah on Lil Pesach. So it's a very, very important mitzvah. How do I know that you could only make matzah out of these five grains? Because the Torah makes a connection between hametz and matzot. And it says, Shabbat, Yamim, how's the Pasuk go? Here's, pasuk says like this. It says that for seven days you have to eat matzah and don't eat hamitz with it. So therefore, the Hachabim learned from here in Masechet Pesachim that whatever you could, whatever you're allowed to, whatever becomes hamitz, you can make from it matzah. And like we said, th- this is only applicable to the five grains. Anything else besides these five grains is not hamitz. And even rice. Why even rice? Any other grain? Why are we specifying rice more than any other thing? And the answer is because there is an opinion in the Gemara. If you're familiar with Masechet Berachot, you'll know the opinion of Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri. According to Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri, he holds that the grain of rice is also a grain to be used for bread. He holds if you make, if you take rice, you grind it, you make it into flour, and then you convert it into bread, you'd make a bracha of hamotzi This and a person who eats a kezait 
of baked matzah, excuse me, of matzah made from rice flour on Pesach, according to Yohanan ben Nuri, he is considered that he's fulfilled his obligation. And if he cooks rice on Pesach, he's considered that he has done an isur deoraita of hamitz. This is the opinion of Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri, which the Gemara says clearly, we don't hold that way. And anything that the Gemara rules, anything that the Gemara gives a psak on, there's nothing to argue on. There's not, there's not like a humrah now, let's go with that opinion. There is no such a thing. We don't hold that rice is considered hamitz. This is true by Ashkenazim, Sfaradim. Nobody disagrees. In fact, the Beit Yosef brings down and he says that the there is no issue, obviously, of rice on Pesach, of rice on Pesach as far as hamitz is concerned. And therefore, there's nothing to worry about about eating rice on Pesach. The Mishnah says, This also means that if a person would take rice and turn it into flour, put water with it, and then he sees that the rice mixture with the, with the water, the flour of rice with the water, is rising, like the way we have our regular bread rising, that's not called the hamitz. That's called sirhon, spoilage. That's not the way it is. This is clear in Siman Taf Nun Gimel Saif Aleph. However, the Ramah brings down, over there you'll see that the Ramah brings down that the menhag of the Ashkenazim is not to eat rice or any kitniyot. What's kitniyot? Kitniyot comes from the shortage, from the root of the word katan, small, any small grains. It says the menhag is not to eat rice or any of these kitniyot. And not only that, one may not be lenient. This is an old menhag and one is not allowed to be lenient. You look over there, the Hidda brings down, I believe, or Shadi Chuba over there brings down that there were certain communities where the Ashkenazi rabbis wanted to permit rice on Pesach. Because really it's not Hamitz. As the Rishonim bring down, anybody who thinks that rice on Pesach is Hamitz is foolish. It's not Hamitz. Even the Ashkenazim were Mahmir, they're not going to tell you that's Hamitz has Shalom. We're going to talk about why they're Mahmir in a second. But so therefore, a lot of Gedolei Ashkenazim wanted to permit rice on Pesach. However, the rabbis of the generation, a few rabbis of the generation stood up and they held on to the minhag. Even though the people who wanted to permit the rice had good intentions because it was times of uh, a lot of, you know, the economy was not good. There was not enough food going on. There was not enough wheat. And therefore, they, you know, we don't have enough f- food for the people to, to cook, especially for Pesach. What are they going to eat? The potatoes? And they, they need some other things. There wasn't even enough supply of food. Still, the rabbis held on to their minhag. And in fact, that's the halakha for the Ashkenazim. It's forbidden for anybody Ashkenazi to come along and say, I want to eat rice now on Pesach. It's a minhag that has been accepted by their parents or great-grandparents, and it stays with them all the way through. And a lot of rabbis, like we said, Gidolei Ashkenazim fought for this minhag. However, you should know, even though this faradim, like Maran, brings down that we do eat rice on Pesach, not all Sfaradim eat rice on Pesach. For example, the Moroccans and the Turkish, both Sfaradim, both very, very authentic Sfaradim, they have a custom of not eating rice on Pesach either. How come? What is the reason why people do not eat rice on Pesach? What's a big deal? And also, what's the idea also of not eating kitniyot, eating small grains? So let's begin with some of the reasons why the Ashkenazim are mahmir. Just give me a second, I'm going to take my medicine and then... Okay, if anybody has questions or comments, not comments, please, no comments. If anybody has questions to call in or to text in, I'm going to repeat the numbers one more time. The number to the studio, we have our technician with us over here, with Michael Cohen, 718-683-5858. He'll be taking down your questions. And you can text in at 347-927-8398. Let's get to the reasons. How come the Ashkenazim (coughs) are stringent on rice on Pesach? A few reasons are brought down. We'll give you four. Number one is that the fields where they used to uh, <coughs> plant the rice were right next to the f- fields where the wheat grew. And a lot of times, of course, when it's windy, things will get mixed up. So you're getting a bag of rice at home, and w- without knowing it, you'll see a lot of wheat kernels that got mixed up in it. Right? That's very, very common. Number two is also... It's brought down that since rice can be made into flour and you can make rice bread out of it, therefore people will not be able to tell the difference between this bread and that bread. They all look the same. How many times did you get confused between a corn muffin and a wheat muffin? 
And you probably don't even know it. You've been making mezanot on muffins all your life, but really corn muffins are really shakol because it's made out of pure corn. Corn is kitniyot. It's made out of small things. It's made into flour. So therefore, a lot of Ashkenazim are mahmib, not just on rice. A lot of these things, corn, things, anything small or anything that you can really make flour out of it, is mahmib. There's even opinions who are stringent on potatoes because potatoes, you can make flour and make cakes out of it. It's not the accepted minhag. The old Ashkenazim do eat potatoes and cakes made out of potato starch. But still, there is such an opinion. I believe it's Aruka Shulhan who says that potatoes should be considered also kidneyod because since you make flour and people cannot tell the difference. Another reason why they used to be mahmir on rice, the Ashkenazim, is because rice used to be shipped in bags that they used to use for storing wheat. And therefore, you had... The, a lot of times the bags were not cleaned so well, so when the rice was inside, it was a whole mixture. And of course, that's problematic on Pesach. And finally, there's a re- reason that the Biur Halakha brings down, who is a commentary on the Rambam, that the reason why the Mahmir on rice is because sometimes the wheat grains don't grow so well, and therefore a lot of people used to mix it up for rice and used to get confused. And therefore, they made it all types of grains, especially rice, should be forbidden, and that's the reasons of the minhagim. Again, stress, not to say that hasbe shalom, that rice is hametz. No Ashkenazi who knows anything will tell you that rice is hametz. That's a joke that, you, that, that people say, maybe it is faradim. How come faradim have to wake up 40 days uh, of Elul to wake up, you know, in the times of... Uh, of, of Selihot, they have a Selihot so much earlier than the Ashkenazim, they'll tell you because they, they compensate for the rice on Pesach, that's only a joke, okay? There's no Ashkenazi out there, there's nobody in the world with any Sechel uh, that will tell you that Hametz is, that rice is Hametz. Why am I stressing on this? And the answer is because when you know that rice is not Hametz, then you'll know there's a lot of Halachot that one doesn't have to drive himself nuts for. Like, number one, if a person does eat rice on Pesach, then you, whether you're Ashkenazi or a Sfaradi that doesn't eat rice, could cook for him rice. Rice is not hametz. Also, if you have pots, which you only use to cook rice, and you have a custom not to eat rice on Pesach, there's no need to kosher those pots on Pesach either, or for Pesach. Why? Because rice is not hametz. It's only stringency, like for the reasons that we said. And the same reason, will, the same thing will apply, you know, I, for example, my in-laws are Turkish, and they don't eat rice on Pesach. So when I go to my brother-in-law's house, and also himself is a Tamil Hakam, he's a very learned person, and I bring sometimes my own plate of rice. It's very hard to just eat potatoes the whole holiday and matzah, you know, it's hard for us. So I bring my rice. They, they don't consider hametz, get it away, what's going on, not at all. They understand that we check the rice well, and there's nothing wrong with the rice. So they don't eat it, but it's not asur, it's not something that's hametz. So what's the reason that Sfaradim, how come some Sfaradim have a custom of not eating hametz? I'm not eating, <laughs> excuse me, not eating rice on Pesach. So the Hadash brings a story that happened. Once, a, once there was a, a time when they had a big party where all the Ashirim, the rich people of the community invited all the rabbis and many, many people came to this uh, Sa'udah. And at the Sa'udah, they had rice which was checked many, many, many times and they cooked it for Pesach as the custom was that everybody ate rice. In the middle of the Sa'udah, all of a sudden, they found a grain of wheat inside or right on top of the rice. And they were shocked. How could, it, how could a grain get in there? How many times did we check it? And we're talking about it over here. People are very wealthy. I'm sure they had many servants. And therefore, the community accepted that we will not be eating rice on, on Pesach anymore because of the thing that happened. So therefore, that's the reason for why Sefer Hadim or some Sefer Hadim are makpid, are stringent on rice on Pesach. The other things that, that we should know about is that if you do eat rice on Pesach, then you, we have an obligation to check the rice before we eat it three times. What does it mean three, three times? You go through the rice, you have to go one kernel at a time, you can go a bunch at a time, but basically you have to go through the rice yourself and to see if it has any problems, any grains, and you take out any grains of wheat that you see or anything that's suspicious. What is it exactly? What, how does it look like exactly? I can't tell you exactly. Maybe it could be not. Anything that you find suspicious, uh, you know, that, that doesn't look like a, g- a grain of rice, throw it out. 
It's only very, very little. It's not a big deal. And this has to be done three times. No exceptions. Even though you might tell me the reasons don't apply nowadays. We don't grow rice next to them, next to the wheat. And we don't have problems of the way they ship the bags. It doesn't make a difference. That is a takana that the Sfaradim have instituted upon themselves. Even though we do eat rice, because of the problems that they had in the past, we've accepted it upon ourselves. We have to check the rice three times before we cook it. Whether it's before Pesach, on Kalva Homer, even on Pesach, we all check the rice. The real issues with rice in our days for Pesach is really enriched rice. There's a law in many, many countries, <coughs> I think I looked it up yesterday, about 130 countries about, that they, they, that they have to, you have to spray, you have to enrich the food. And that is, it makes up for some of the vitamins that we might be uh, missing from our food diet. In order that we should get the vitamins, that w- the proper vitamins that we need, so therefore they enrich many, many, many foods. A lot of them are the grains that we eat. One of them is also rice. So there has been an issue that's brought up by the cashew companies in the, pa- in the past that what they're spraying over there might be something that comes out, that comes from rice. Some say that, I mean, excuse me, that comes from wheat. And therefore, when you cook that, that becomes pure hametz. Even though in general it's batil, it means it's so little and it's going to be for sure batel b'shishim, but the halakha is on Pesach, in order for something to be permitted, it has to be 100% clean of hametz. It can't even have a tiny, tiny percent. Afilu be'elif, hametz, even in a, if you have a thousand against it, will not be batel. So therefore, enriched rice has become an issue in the past. So what is one to do? So I spoke to the star K. Just when the, you know, I, every year we go through the same thing before Pesach. Which rice is good? Which rice is no good? So I'm just giving you here a list from the Star K. The Star K says that they have a special run for the Sfaradim who want to eat rice on Pesach. They have they give a hechsher to three types, three brands of rice. Number one is called Carolina Mehadrin, and this you'll see. There's a star, a Star K with the SP over there, which means for the people who eat kitniyot. The second brand is called Carolina Brown Mehadrin. And the third is called Goya Mehadrin, meaning green white rice. Those are found in kosher supermarkets. I don't think you'll find them in Costco and other places, specifically in kosher supermarkets. And they have a spe- and these need a special star KS on it, okay? Which means it's a star KSP, which means it's kosher for the Sfaradim on Pesach. There's other brands that you can get, which you won't need. There is no issue at all. Super Lucky Elephant, jasmine rice, or I mean not jasmine, regular rice, that is, you don't even need a star K because it doesn't, it's not enriched. Anything that's not enriched, you don't have an issue about. So Super Lucky Elephant is not enriched, so anyway, you don't have an issue with it. The other brand that the star K put out that you also don't have an issue for is called Himalayan Pride Basmati Rice. Are there any other brands? It could be, yeah, it could be not. In the past, we would have to do a lot more research and find out exactly. But today, that we have Baruch Hashem over here, at least five different types of rice that we can u- choose from. And you don't have an issue of, you know, figuring out what was inside of the, uh, of the, ri- of the spray, of the enrichment that they sprayed. So anybody who asks us, should we, what kind of rice should we get? This is what we recommend. Why? Because... Why should you put yourself in the suffix? Maybe it has, maybe it doesn't have wheat. Just get the one of the five for Pesach and you'll be fine. If you already cooked your food for Pesach and you used one of the rice that's not listed over here, check with your local Rav. Do not call me. Call your local rabbi. If I am your local rabbi, then you call me after the show and we'll tell you what <coughs> to do with your rice. Let's move on now to the second subject that we're going to speak about today, Bedikat Hametz. <clears throat> After we speak about Betikat Hamid, we're going to go into questions that we got, and we're going to answer the questions that we got in the past, some questions that were brought up from the last time we gave a class, and also any questions that you have yourself, you could send it in now, and Bazat Hashem will we'll take your questions right after this, okay? The numbers, again, 718-683-5858 if you have any questions, and if you want to text, it's 347-927-8398. Let's get to Betikat Hamid's. Bedikat Hametz, next, what is it, not next Sunday, a week from this Sunday night, we will be already on the 14th, we'll be in the 14th of Pesach, Lil. Sunday night will be Yudalit Nisan, sorry, 14th of Nisan, which is right before Ayre Pesach, or technically it is Ayre Pesach, the day before Pesach. 
There is an obligation, there is a mitzvah called bedikat hametz, in which we have to search for the hametz. What is the reason why we have to search for hametz? What's this whole idea of searching for hametz? Especially a lot of people don't understand. Obviously, say, what do you mean, search for hametz? I dare you to find any hametz in my house. I've been cleaning since Purim was finished. I didn't even touch my mishloch manot. I threw everything out. I made, I vacuumed every single person that walked into my house. I didn't allow a dust of hametz in my house. But what do I have to check ha- uh, my house for, for, for hametz? You won't find it. You'll dig under the carpet, you won't find hametz. So let's explain the mitzvah of Bedikat Hametz, the purpose of Bedikat Hametz, and what are the practical halachot. Let's understand it. Let's begin. There is two pesukim in the Torah that seem to contradict each other. Pay attention to the first pasuk. Pasuk says like this, Shibat yamim seor lo Pasuk says that for seven days you cannot have any seor. Seor means, like we said in the past, it's sourdough, it's a type of hametz. You cannot have any hametz in your house, why, says the Torah, whoever eats any sort of hametz, then that soul will be cut off from the Jewish people. We have a very, very severe pasuk warning us that we cannot eat hametz, and the punishment of one who eats hametz is that he will be hayab <coughs> karet. It's very, very severe, right? But what the pasuk says, Shabbat yamin, for seven days, which we understand is the seven days of Pesach. Good. Now the second pasuk says like this: harishon tashbitu However, says the pasuk, on the first day, you must get rid of the hametz from your houses. Says the Gemara, what's going on over here? On the first day, usually when it says in the Torah bayom, it means to say daytime, unless you have a special exception. Here the Torah is telling me on during the daytime, on the first day, I have to get rid of hametz. But yet it says in the Pasuk, for seven days I'm not, I'm, I'm not allowed to have Hametz. So we know that the Pesach starts in the night. If I wait until the next day to destroy my Hametz, then that means I've kept, Pes- I've kept Hametz in my house. And it's, it's punishable by Karet. So what, is, it on the fir- is it during the daytime I have to get rid of Hametz? Or is it when Pesach begins, which is in the evening? To that the Gemara answers and says, that really, when it says Bayom Harishon over here, it doesn't mean the first day of the holiday of Pesach. But it means that the first day that starts off the Pesach celebrations, which is the day of Korban Pesach, the day that we bring the Korban Pesach, which is when? Which is Yud Nisan, Aref Pesach, the day before Pesach, is when we have an obligation from the Torah to get rid of Hametz from our houses. So now the two Pesachim make sense. Torah is telling us Aref Pesach, <clears throat> the day before Pesach, which this year will be on Monday, we have to destroy the Hametz from our houses. And when we destroy it before Pesach comes in, this way for the seven days of Pesach, we won't have any Hametz because who does, whoever does eat Hametz on Pesach gets a punishment of Karet. Wonderful. Now that we explain the, 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 the Pesukim, comes out, this is a Torah obligation. Midoraita, we are not allowed to have any Hametz in our house. Beginning on Arif Pesach. From which time? The Pasuk doesn't tell me when on Arif Pesach. All it says is, Bayom, the daytime. When exactly in the, in the daytime must I get rid of it? The Gemara says from midday, from Hatzot. The Torah restriction of Hametz from Arif Pesach is beginning from Hatzot, midday. To that, the Gemara says, how do you know? Doesn't say in the word in the Pasuk uh, Hatzot. Well, as you write, since the Pasuk doesn't specify, so therefore, I'll divide the day. Half the day, you can have Hametz, half the day, you can have Hametz. Beginning from Hatzot, you cannot have Hametz midday or Also, other reasons are explained, given in the Gemara. The word Ach means to divide, so we divide half the day. Okay, there's reasons are brought in the Gemara. However, Hachamim said, although midday you cannot have Hametz on Pesach, excuse me, on Arif Pesach from Hatzot, Hakimim said, you know, you don't have a clock, you don't have a watch back then. And what if your watch is incorrect? You might get confused. And what if it's cloudy and you can't tell where the sun is and you don't know what time it is? So therefore, Hakimim made some restrictions. What did they do? Two hours before Hatzot, now Hatzot, keep in mind, this is the f- sixth hour. Two hours before Hatzot, which is the fourth hour, now Hakimim said, you cannot eat Hametz anymore. We don't want you to eat Hametz. You might get carried away. You might get confused. You cannot eat hametz from the fourth hour. But you're still allowed to have hametz in your possession until the fifth hour. In the fifth hour, you have to already 
destroy it with the Rabbanan. So this way, by time Hatzot comes already, you're done. As we all know, we all need fences. How many times do we have to go somewhere and we, and we are told, be ready at this time. You order car service. I want you to be ready at this time. And of course, we live with Jewish watches and nothing runs on time. Not our weddings, not our simchas. Nothing runs on time. Okay? So therefore, the Hakamim know this about our Jewish custom. And therefore, they made a restriction and they said that from not Hatzot, Torah forbids us from Hatzot, we have to make sure by Hatzot we don't have a problem of Hametz. So two hours before Hatzot, we must stop eating Hametz. And then an hour later, we already have to burn it. We have to get rid of it. Practically speaking, this year, Ere Pesach will be on April 14th. Like we said, Baruch Hashem, this year it's much easier. In uh, 5774, the non-Jewish calendar and the Jewish calendar coincide which means as far as the days the dates are so the, Pesach Ayre Pesach is Yud Dalet Nisan which means April 14th is going to be Ayre Pesach we will have to stop eating take down the following take down the following uh, times write it down <coughs> the latest time to eat Hametz on Ayre Pesach is 10.04 a.m. I'm going with the calendar that I personally use. If you have a different calendar, if your rabbis tell you something a little bit differently, you could follow what they say. I'm going with the calendar that I personally use. 10.04 a.m. is the last time to eat hametz. The latest time to burn your hametz is at 11.20 a.m. Okay, this is going to be on Monday. That's when we burn and we get so you keep in mind when we are burning our hametz on Monday, we are fulfilling a mitzvah de oraita of tashbitu seorm batechem. Now you don't have to burn it. You know, the Torah says tashbitu. You don't have to actually physically burn it. If you want to get rid of it in any other way, you can also get rid of it. You can get rid of hametz by eating it. You know, a lot of people that's their uh, they'll take the hametz. Don't worry. They'll make sure that it's done before that. <laughs> Any hametz that they have leftovers, they eat it, they consume it, and they finish it before 10 or 4 a.m. Or that's that's also fine. You want to throw it out. You want to give it away to non-Jews. That's fine. You have to get rid of the hametz from your house, whatever way you want. Yes, we do burning because it's brought down. It's preferable to do burning, but the ikar of tashbitu is to get rid of it. Good. Now. Technically, if I could get rid of hametz, I could also declare it ownerless. Hametz is asur because it's mine, right? So therefore, I could just declare it ownerless, and that's it, it's good enough. And you're right, midday oraita, If a person declares that his hametz is ownerless, this is not my hametz anymore, I don't want it anymore. It's not any different from giving it to a goy. I'm giving it as a present to a goy, let him go enjoy the hametz. This is not my hametz anymore. Can I do that? Technically, midday yes. <coughs> but hachamim were scared. And they had the right to do so. They were nervous that well, what's going to happen when a person has so much hametz, talk about in the thousands of dollars, and now he has to get rid of it. So if he has to get rid of all of his hametz, and he's going to say, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I declare my hametz ownerless, and he knows nobody's going to touch it afterwards. He's not really declaring it ownerless. The proof is after he says that statement, two minutes later, you see somebody coming along, taking from hametz, he'll yell at him. He'll come with a bat to <laughs> knock his head out. What are you touching my hametz for? Didn't you just declare it ownerless? No, no, that's just a saying. So therefore, out of that fear and uh, that the person might not be serious when he's declaring his hametz ownerless, therefore Hakamim said, it's not enough just to declare it ownerless. You have to search and get rid of your hametz physically. And how is that done? That's where we come to the mizvah called Bedikat Hametz. Yes, we burn the hametz on Eid of Pesach. But we must search for the hametz the night beforehand. How come? Why don't we search for the hametz in the morning? If you tell me I'm allowed to eat it anyway. I'm eating hametz anyway that morning. I'm having it for breakfast. Why do I have to search for the night before on Sunday night, this year, for example? And the answer is because if you want to search for something better, it's better to search f to a light. And the li back, let's go back a little bit before electricity. The best way to search for something is through the light of a candle. And the light of a candle will only shine good in the evening. It will not shine good in the daytime. Right? As Hazal tells us, if you light a candle in the daytime, <laughs> the sun already will, will uh, you can't see the candle. So therefore, because you have to search through the light of a candle. Why? Because some nooks and crannies in the, in the corners, in the back, especially back then when they used to use the holes in the wall as storage, 
you can't search for those in the daytime because the candle won't shine good. So therefore, we made it at night. Also, in the daytime, many people are busy. They go to work. They have errands to do. At nighttime, people are home. They have nothing to do. This is before the world of TV and uh, internet, yeah? Okay, so they have nothing to do. They come back home. So therefore, they could go. They have time, enough time to go ahead and search for the Hamids. In the daytime, they're going to search a very superficial search and go run to their errands. That's why we made it in the evening. And this is the background to the reason why we have to do Bedikat Hamids. When this year, Sunday night, when the beginning of the 14th of Nisan, in the evening of 14th of Nisan, to look and search for the Hamids, to find where the Hamids is, and we have to do it to the light of a candle. So therefore, the halakha, let's get to practice halakhot now. We have, we begin, when is the obligation for one to begin bedika? Sunday night, April 13th, 2014 for this year. Shekia is at 7.33 p.m. Better to wait for Tzitta Kuchabim to do the mitzvah. Why? Because we all know after the sun sets, it's still daytime, daylight outside. You want it to be dark. So this way you could search better. So whenever you call Tzitta Kuchabim, you could even be lenient. Even 7.55 already, you could begin already uh, looking for your hametz. And you must search with a light. How could you, how, what does that mean you must search with a light? It could either be a candle. It could either be a flashlight. We we'll talk about those a little bit more in the second Bezat Hashem. And you could also keep, you could also have your electricity on. Once upon a time, then have electricity, so everything was done through a candle. And the Gemara says you cannot do to a big flame because a big flame, you might, we're scared that you're not going to really search properly. But today, you could keep your, your, your electricity on. There's no problem keeping your electricity on. In fact, electricity helps you search better. If you're looking, think about it like this. If you're looking for something, how many times does it happen? You might you, you think that you might have placed something in your kid's room. And you can't go into your kid's room and put on the light. You're going to wake up the kids and then you're going to have the headache of putting them back to sleep. So what do you do? You take out your phone. And with that little light that you get on your phone screen, you search all over. Of course you can't see as good. Even though you're looking under the bed in a place where the electricity will not reach. But still... If, you'd had the, if you would have had the electricity on, it would obviously help you search better. The purpose of searching for hametz is to look, to really look for hametz. Now you might ask me, hold on a second. My wife cleaned. She's been scrubbing and cleaning. And I hired 700 housekeepers. And they all came. They took every corner of the house. And they cleaned very well. Why do I have to search? The answer is, this is a takanat hachamim. This is something the rabbis instituted, no exceptions. Everybody must search. In fact, we're going to learn later on. We're going to talk a little bit later. When people go away, they also have the hayub, the obligation of searching for hametz. We can talk about that in a second. This is something, no yotim in no exceptions. Every single Jew that has a house has the obligation to search for his hametz on the night of the 14th of Nisan, the night before Seder, beginning from Seta Kochabim. <coughs> that's going to take this. That's going to take place this year on Sunday, April 13th. That's the obligation, no exception. So therefore, that we have to, that we have the obligation to search, even though you might have searched, you have the hayub of searching it, even though you might have cleaned your house very well. In fact, it's a mefurash shuhanaruch. That's not something we just made up right now. Maran says, even though a guy cleaned very well, he still has to search. So what's my job as a man now to come and search for the hametz? I know I, I'm really fooling myself. No, I'll tell you like this. I don't know what uh, inspires you, if kashrut inspires you, if money inspires you, whatever it is. If money inspires you, put down money. Are you ready to guarantee that you're ready to give $50,000 and you're guaranteeing that nobody will find any hamets in your house? If you're ready to guarantee that, you give me $50,000, I'll come look in your house, I'll see if I can find hamets. Oh, once you're hesitant a little bit, $50,000, it's a lot of money. So then you don't seem so confident, huh? So therefore... Make sure you go through the house very well. And then maybe you could put a $50,000 bet on the line to, to anybody who, to look for hametz. You, as a man, have to be like the mashgiach to look out for any hametz that's around the house. And by the way, when you go through some of the things later on of what to look for, you might be shocked of people what people overlook, what people don't realize. Yes, the house is spotless for Pesach. There's no dust even. Forget hametz. It's not even dust for Pesach, but still, certain things are obviously hametz, people don't realize and they keep around, okay? So that's the one. If kashrut inspires you, you're the mashgiach. You are the mashgiach. Are people eating by your house on Pesach? Are your kids eating by you? Even for yourself, do you trust that your house is clean of any hametz? 
You are the mashgiach, like you're going to a factory or, or a bakery, whatever it is, and you're checking out everything to make sure everything is spotless, there's no hametz around. What are you searching for? You're searching for anything that's hametz of a kezayit or more. Don't make it a game where you take 10 pieces of bread and you just put them around and you go pick them up and you're done. That's not called bedikat hametz. Over there, I don't know, it might be Brachad Batala, maybe, I don't know. But that's, it's not a game, Bidikat Hametz. You're really going through the places to make sure that the house was properly cleaned up for Pesach. Everything is clean. Everything was not clean. I mean to say everything was really, there is no Hametz around. Especially if you have kids in the house and they have friends. They go over to their friend's house and their friend's mother tells them, you can't eat Hametz in the house, go outside. So maybe your son or daughter brought the Hametz back home and they put it the other day. <laughs> we had to, I think in the summer, we're painting my son's room. And I had to move the bed. And as I moved the bed, I was shocked to see all the candy wrappers over there on the, on the, behind the bed. Right? That's a candy that he wasn't supposed to take. So where is he? Dump uh, the, hide the evidence? Right behind the bed. Uh, if I never moved the bed, I would have never seen it. So on Pesach, you'll be shocked. If you look at certain places, you see pure, pure hametz, pretzels, pieces of cake, different types of things. Things that will also last throughout Pesach. Coming back to the, how to do bedikah. Doing bedika, we said we could, you could do it even with a flashlight. Now you should know there is an opinion, the old Letzion, Acham Ben Tzion Shalom, he writes that you cannot make a beracha on bedikat hametz if you're using a flashlight. Why? Because the Gemara learns the obligation of having a candle from a pasuk. And since there's a pasuk that tells me the obligation of having a candle, so I could use a flashlight. Maybe a flashlight wouldn't work. So you cannot use a flashlight. So, what's a, so what you want to do? But you should know, most of the poskim that I've seen have all said unanimously, they all said, you could make bedikat hametz even with a flashlight. The car is that you should be able to see. It's not a magical thing that the candle does. So therefore, what should a person do? Why not be yotze according to everybody? Start out with a candle. Put on a candle, make the blessing, and start searching. Once you search already for about a minute or two, even less than a minute, you started your search here and there, you could move on to the flashlight. In fact, in the flashlight, you could probably search even better because you could go into places where the candle cannot go. So therefore, if you want to be your de Haba, according to all opinions, start out with the candle, and then after you search for a little bit, move on to a flashlight. By the way, you don't have to take the responsibility of searching your whole house by yourself. Although the obligation of searching the house is only on the owner of the house, which means that if you have children that are above the age of Bar Mitzvah, they don't have to do it. You have to do it. As the father, you have to do it. And therefore, if you, but if you want them to help you, you're allowed to have them help you. You can have them help you just as long as they know what they're doing. You have to have uh, kids, excuse me, not kids, you have to have um, children, not children, but uh, uh, kids who know what they're doing, uh, at least above the age of Bar Mitzvah, that they, sh they should know what to look for, what they're looking for, what they're searching for. And they can listen to Yibarakha, and you could spread them out throughout the house, and each one takes a different room. It's easy when you have older kids above Bar Mitzvah or teenagers, they are very good searchers. And they won't get tired. You take one room, let them take the other rooms. And this way, you could make it easier on you. But a lot of people, a lot of kids come home now. I don't call them kids. Young men come home now from yeshiva. And there is a mitzvah. There is a hachamim said, that because we don't want you to get distracted with anything else when the time of Bedikat Hamid comes, therefore hachamim made certain restrictions that a person is not allowed to do once the once the, the sun sets, once the sun sets, a person is not allowed to do certain things. For example, a person is not allowed to have a sauda. He's not allowed to have a meal on Sunday night with bread half an hour before the time of Bidikat Hamid. So I would say around 7.20. He can't have a meal with bread. He can't start a meal with bread. Why? We're worried that you're going to get distracted. You're going to lose yourself. You're sitting there, you're eating your pizza. You're already washed and you, you forget about it. And you might forget about Bidikat Hamid. Also, you can start learning that time. Unless you're in the shul and you have a shiru kabwa, that's separate. But in the house, you want to start learning, you cannot do so either. So, a lot of times, the children are home from yeshiva, and especially now it's a break, right? And the parents have not come home yet from work. And it's already after shikar. Are they allowed to have a meal? Are they allowed to learn? And the answer is yes. Why? Because the obligation of checking the house is on the owner, not on the children. So therefore, 
If the children are home, they could have the meal. The wife could also have a meal. The obligation is primarily on who? On the owner. But the owner can make anybody else also uh, a shaliyah. He could appoint somebody else as a shaliyah from to in order to uh, check his hamids. He could appoint his wife. He could appoint one of his older children. He could even appoint a brother. Somebody else, as long as it's a Jew, to come and check out the hamid, to check out the house to do bedika for him in the house. How should one do betika? Let's go to the places. Of course, you're going to search your house. We know that. You know which spots is to, to search. I'm just going to point out some things that maybe you have, you, you might have not paid attention to. So let's just go through some of these places. First of all, if you have kids in the house, although we t- the halakha says, only where you normally bring hametz is where you have to do betika. Not if you have children in the house. If you... Take uh, if you have children in the house, even in the bathroom, even the bathroom you have to check. Yes, why? Because hametz goes everywhere. They put the, the hametz everywhere, especially little kids that don't understand. And as much as you warn them, they're gonna do it anyway. Also, cars have an obligation. Don't think that just because I got a Pesach clean, I took my car to the car wash and I paid uh, uh, you know three hundred dollars in order to get it super, super, super Pesach clean. That's it. I'm done. You have an obligation of doing bedikah, like we said before. Any time you do, uh, you, you clean a room in the house, you still have to do bedikah on it. Even if you cleaned it, the obligation is on that night to do bedikah. Also, the staircases, school bags, especially of children, they have their briefcases. You have to check inside of their bags that they shouldn't have hamits. As one lady also told me, in her toys. You have to check the toys where the kids play. A lot of times they put a lot of hamets, a lot of bags of nash and, and cookies and things that go inside over there. You may not be, you may not think about it, but the kids stuff it all there. Especially again, in general, you should check them, but especially if you have kids. Also, your pockets. If you normally put food in your pockets, this is now adults. In the adult pockets, if you normally put food, you should do bedika. You should check your pockets. If you don't put food in your pockets, you don't have to check your pockets. Purses. A lot of ladies sometimes will take a little snack here and there. The uh, the the grain the multi grain bars they'll put them in their purses. Also jackets in the inside the jacket pocket. And one place also where I find a lot of hamets every year is the couch. Right in between the seats of the sofa over there, there's a lot of hamets that get stuck. But don't drive yourself nuts. What does that mean? That sometimes you can't get to it. A kid just cannot reach. The Al-Qa says, any hametz that's inaccessible on Pesach, you do not have the obligation of cleaning it and getting rid of it. Behind your fridge, behind your freezer. If you have those heavy freezers, which are not portable, I'm not talking about the little ones that you move around, talk about the big fridges that are not movable, especially your oven. When was the last time you pulled out your oven and you went over there and took some things from there? The only time you pull out your ovens on Pesach because you think you have to clean it over there. But otherwise, you don't have to, you're not going to pull out your hamets behind, you're not going to pull out your oven and start eating the hamets over there or the fridge for that reason. But if you do it, that's fine. You could do it. But there's no hayub of bedika of searching for the hamets over there. Also, in the couches, like I said, sometimes you you see this hamets, but so deep you can't get to it. Not your hand, not a, a little child could also not get to it. Even the vacuum, you take the vacuum tube and you stick it in there and it cannot reach. All that, it's sufficient to do bitul. Bitul is what we said beforehand, to declare all your hamets ownerless, and that's fine. Also, this is also making it easier for you. The places that you don't have to do bidika on, are places which are being sold to the goy. Let's say you're selling the room where you're placing all your hametz. For, you're selling that to the goy. You don't have to do bedika on it. If you're selling a few rooms in the house, as long as it's not the whole house itself, that's an important halakha. If you're selling the whole house and you're going away for Pesach, you still have the obligation of doing bedikat hametz. You cannot exempt yourself from the mitzvah of bedika. You still have an obligation of bedikat hametz. You have to do it the night before you leave. That's very important to know. People will go away for Pesach. If you're going away before Sunday, you're going before the weekend, you're going to spend the weekend wherever you're going away, and you're locking up your house, you have an obligation of doing bedika where you're going. You're going to a hotel, then over there, that's where you do bedika hamitz. You're going to your, your parents, so that's a little bit more complicated. By your parents, 
some posts can bring down that you must make a blessing on the room that you're having, wherever you're going to be. Let's say your parents give you the basement, they give you one of the rooms, and you're staying there for Pesach, and you're not planning to come back home. You're going from Israel to America. It's what normally happens during this time of the year. You're going from uh, Florida or New Jersey to New York. If you come back to your house on Pesach, so you have Hayyub to do Bidika anyway on your house for Pesach. But if you're not planning to come back to your house on Pesach, you still have an obligation of doing Bidika where in that room that's designated to you. This is talking about children that are married, right? That's considered like your own room as if you rented it. The best... The best is to listen to the beracha that's being said on the whole household by your father or the owner of the household, whoever that may be. Or if you're the shliach, if you, let's say, go into your mother and it's only your mother in the house and therefore you're making, you're doing bedikat hamitz for your mother and you're the one searching for the whole house and she sent, she made you as a shliach, then that beracha is sufficient for the whole house, including that room that you're, that you're searching yourself and that's good enough. Question, does one have to do bedikah on their books? And the answer is no. You don't have to do bedikat hametz on your book. You don't have to search your book. Even though you're a person that normally takes your books to the table where you're eating hametz, you still don't have to do it. Maybe some crumbs fell, fine. But the hayub, the obligation of bedikat hametz is to search for a kezayit. Kezayit is uh, about a, an ounce, a little less than an ounce of, of volume. How are you going to fit an ounce of volume of, of kezayit in your books? Right? So therefore you don't have to. What about the crumbs inside the books? Yes. So because of that, and because Pesach, we were very careful with Hametz, even Bimashu. So therefore, don't bring those books. They have any suspicion of Hametz to the table on Pesach. And as a good idea, as a good advice, any benchers that you use throughout the year, don't put lock them up in the Hametz closet. Don't use them on Pesach b'chlal, because there's they could have a lot of problems over there that's for sure they have a lot of crumbs although again there's no obligation of bedika but put them away for Pesach better not to um, get involved with that next in order to make bedika easier for you the halakha brings down that as your wife or your housekeeper is cleaning something in the house then what you could do is you could search right after they cleaned it what does that mean? let's say your wife is cleaning the bedroom bedroom number one so after she cleans the bedroom, you could go and do bedikah on that room. The next night she cleans the other bedroom, bedroom number two. After she cleans it, you can go ahead and do bedikah on that room. And then, of course, make sure that no hamets enters that room. Like we said, with children, it's very hard. Unless you really don't have any hamets in the house, then you guarantee that there's no hamets coming into the house. If in such a way you've done what you've you've done it that way, you could do 99% of your house. You must leave one room. In your house, without bedika, without bedika after it was cleaned, in order for it to be, um, in order for it to be hayab in bedikat hametz on the night of Sunday night. But if you want to make it easier for you, you could search each room as you go ahead and clean it beforehand, and just guarantee that there's no hametz that enters there, and then you could continue, and until you get to Sunday night. You must leave at least one room that has not been checked so you can make the proper blessing on Sunday night. I'll be or Hametz and then search it <coughs> on Lil Pesach, on Lil, on the night before Pesach. <coughs> That's it for the halachot of Bedikat Hametz. Next week we'll probably talk a little bit more, uh, just quick pointers for Bedikat Hametz because as we're approaching Pesach now. Now I want to go through some of the <coughs> some of the questions that we got. I believe some of them are common. Some teach us some important things. Let's begin with the question over here. Must a person kosher their kids' toys? So I'm not sure what the koshering means over here. If they mean to say that must a person um, actually do hagala? No, not at all. Do you have to wash your kids' toys? No, but it's a good idea to run through your kids' toys because they do put clean them out. It's a good idea. You don't have to go through whole scrubbing things. I will tell you though, <coughs> be careful, Play-Doh. Play-Doh is made out of hametz. And although it's not edible, but still, it's hametz on Pesach. A lot of kids sometimes put it in their mouth. A lot of people put away your Play-Doh for Pesach. Next. <coughs> Does one need to kosher utensils that are for display on, Pes- on, on Pesach? What does that mean? It means like this. If you have any kelim, any utensils that are for sure hametz, like silver and things that you use with hat, but you have them in a closet. 
you only have them for display. You used to use them at one time, or they used to be antiques, and now you only show them for display. You don't actually use them. Do you have to clean them or not? So, in the Mishnah Rah he brings, and he talks about kelim, utensils that are only there for display. And he says that they put very, very high, that they're out of reach. He says over there, really, you should clean them for Pesach, but... If you did not clean them, if you did not kosher from Pesach, since they're out of reach, it's fine. The Poskim bring down, some Pesach vote bring down the name of Taz and Yad Ephraim, that this heter is only when one cannot reach the utensil. It's within reach. If you can just open up the closet and take it out, then you don't have the heter, like the Mishnah Barah said, you have to kosher those kelim on Pesach if they're within your reach. And if any, like we said, you don't have to kosher every single dish in your house for Pesach. Anything that you're not planning to use, then you could, you don't have to coach. Just make sure it's clean on the surface and lock it away. But if it's there, you could see it, and you're not putting it, you're not putting it away, then you should kosher them for Pesach. Last week I got a question: Does Pyrex need to be kosher? Why? Pyrex is a glass dish. We said last week, according to the Sfaradim, glass does not absorb, and therefore it's not bolea. The flavor doesn't go in. It's it's a, it has a smooth surface. It's also hard. And so there's no problem of using glass on Pesach, even if you use it with hametz. But somebody wants to say that Pyrex has metal inside of it, and the answer is that both the Orletzion and Hakam Avadia Yosef Zatzal, both of them say that regarding Pyrex, it's still glass, and even though it may contain some small metal metal particles, it doesn't make a difference. I don't say those old metal pyrex, but they say clearly pyrex. They say that you don't have to kosher it. You could use it. That's for the Sfaradim. The Ashkenazim have an issue. The Ashkenazim hold that glass is boleav in fleet. Glass absorbs and you cannot kosher it. So therefore the Ashkenazim don't use any glass that has been used with hametz. Even there's a suspicion that was used with hametz even one time on Pes- on throughout the year. They will not use it on Pesach. <coughs> We have about a few minutes left. If you have any questions, you could call into the station now. I will be here after the show to answer any questions for the 10, 15 minutes after the show. But if you want to call in right now for your, to your, to, for your questions, you can call in right now. We have the technician over here, 718-683-5858. Or you could text in your questions at 347-927-8398. Okay. What about a kitchen aid? How would one kosher a kitchen aid that was used for hametz throughout the year a kitchen aid that was used around hametz i would tell you to do either libun kal or hagala this means is to take it and hagala we know just to put it in hot hot water or libun kal put on the oven 300 degrees is is enough 305 according to some other post scheme 400 degrees put on for half an hour put it in the oven for that long, talk about the metal pieces and the pot that was used to hold the dough. If you put it for that much, that is that should be good enough. Okay, next. Um, okay, here's the next question. This actually, this is a question that's my own personal question. A few years ago, my wife brought down the Pesach dishes and we realized that we didn't label the pots that we had, we had pots that we were going to cook for on Pesach, we didn't label which one was dairy and which one was meat. So now I have eight pots in front of me. I know for sure two were dairy and six were meat. But I don't know which one is meat, which one is dairy. What's a halakha? Halakha in such a case is that there's a deen called yabesh beyabesh. The halakha tells me that anytime I have a mixture of things where the flavor is not transferring from one to another, then we follow the majority whatever the majority may be. The mashallah, if I have three slices of turkey, a lot of people get nervous around this halakha. But this halakha is brought down shohan aruch. There's no doubt about this. There's no uh, question about this. If I have three slices of turkey, two kosher and one not kosher, and they got mixed up, I don't know which is kosher, which is not kosher, I can't even get a goy to taste the difference. They all taste exactly the same. Halakha says all three slices are mutar to eat. I just, cannot, I just cannot eat them at the same time. I can eat one at a time. Okay, there is an opinion that's very mahmir. The Maharam Rutenberg says it's better to throw one away; it doesn't make a difference, and eat the other two. But according to Shohan Aruch, there is no problem. You can eat all three pieces; just don't eat it together at the same time. 
Good. Why? Because the halakha says whenever I have a mixture of yavesh be yavesh, we follow the majority. So therefore, the majority over here with two pieces that are kosher, all three become kosher. So therefore, over here the pots also got mixed up. I have two dairy pots that got mixed up with six meat pots. So now I have a total of eight pots. Which, what's the majority? The majority is meat. So all the pots now become meat. All of them. Even the two dairy ones. Since I have a suffix, a doubt which one is which, all eight pots are meat. And if I want to use any pots for dairy, then I'll take whichever pot that I want and take that one and kosher it and that will be my dairy pot. Maybe this was it, maybe this was not. doesn't make a difference. That's halakha. The halakha is that all, when I have a mixture of yavesh, yavesh, things where the taste is not transferring, the halakha says that we follow the majority. In this case, the majority was the meat. Do braces need to be kosher? The answer is no. What you do is the last time you eat hametz, clean your, your, your braces very well, brush your teeth very well, maybe use a little bit of mouthwash, and that's good enough. Hacham in fact, has a teshuvah in Yabiya Omer, where he says that somebody wanted to be mahmir, and he says you need hagalam braces, and then he had to go to the hospital. He says that's what the person gets. He deserves it for going against what the rabbi, what we, we, that we were posik. Halakha is, you don't have to. Why not? What's the logic? The answer is because we don't put food that's yad soledet in our mouth. In order for food, for the flavor of hametz or anything to go into something, into a keli, into a utensil, it has to go through the temperature of yad The finish of yad is anything that you cannot keep in your mouth or you cannot hold for a while. The fact that you're able to eat it obviously wasn't yad soledetbo. Even once in a blue moon you'll burn your, ma- your tongue or whatever, but still, in general, you don't do that. You don't put that by your teeth. So therefore, it's fine. You don't have to kosher. Just brush your teeth very well. Make sure there's no... In fact, even without braces, when his high brings it down, a person has to make sure to brush his teeth very well when he's done eating hametz before Pesach, and it should be done before 10.04 p.m., right? And when high brings the story with the halom. Thank you. Okay, next question. How is a sink cleaned kosher? So we spoke about the sink a little bit last week. I will just tell you very quickly, either through airui, or if you cannot do airui, means you take hot boiling water and you pour over your sink, or if you cannot do that, you could put contact paper, or they sell these things called like a, synth, a sink insert, where you just put it on top of the sink, and that will be good enough. Okay, another question, can we use, no, we did that already, that's all right. Oh, here we go. Do you have to kosher the countertops for Pesach? The answer is yes. You should kosher your countertops for Pesach. Why? Because what happens is when you take food out of the oven or you take them out of the, um, or off the stovetop and they're boiling hot, a lot of times you place them on the countertops and they'll spill over. Also many times what happens is food spills, which is hot, falls, slips off your plate, off your china plate. And a lot of times forks, which are still from hametz, you're stirring a pot, you take a fork or, or a spoon and you place it on the countertop. Yes, and the countertops have belly out of hametz inside of them. So therefore, the koshering of countertops, so it depends what type of countertop you have, and if it's Sfaradi or Ashkenazi. If you're Ashkenazi, so it might be a little bit more complicated. I'm talking not the Sfaradim, Maran is posik, it makes no difference what you, what the keli is, as long as it's not heres. Heres means um, pottery. Only pottery absorbs. But anything else like stone or, or uh, I guess, marble or granite, all these things could be koshered through a rui, which means you pour boiling hot water on top of it and make sure that the flow should hit every part. And usually a lot of people don't like to do that because they don't want to ruin their tops. I find it much easier to either place contact paper like my habruta does, or you could buy from the stores. They sell them all these kosher stores. They have countertops. These plastic countertops are very big white sheets, and you cut them to the size of your counters, and you can use them year after year. You just label them right on the bottom. This is for the right counter, for the left counter, and then you just put them on year after year, and that's the easiest way. This will also apply to tables. If you have a table that you use throughout the year without a tablecloth, without any cover, then I'm sure you have a lot of hamits that's spilled on it or that's on it. To do Rui on a wood table is not recommended. You might ruin your table. That's up to you to decide. I mean, you don't like, people don't like to do that. So the best thing is to cover it <coughs> in order to make sure 
that to use it that way in such a way. The covering, I find, is the easiest and simplest way to give something kosher, uh, to, to kosher your uh, countertops or tables for Pesach. Okay, it's 3.01 already, and we have to stop over here. I will be in the station for the next 10-15 minutes. If you have any questions on halakha or that we spoke about or anything regarding Pesach, then you're more the, than welcome to come in, to, to call into the station. The numbers to the station are 718-683-5858. You can text in also your questions now, 347-927-8398. Again, this class was of Yitzhak ben Sabhiyeh. Yitzhak ben Sabhiyeh and myself. And uh, next week, we will talk about the last few topics of Pesach. We'll get through some of the questions that we didn't answer. We'll talk about also the halakhot uh, of Ere Pesach and what you need to prepare for Lil Haseder. Bazat Hashem, that will be all next week. We'll see you on Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Bazat Hashem. And uh, until then, have a wonderful week, a wonderful, also just Rosh Hodesh, and you should have a wonderful month, Hodesh Nisan, the month of miracles, which will be Zohet and the miracles once again.